Hi, welcome to Revenue Marketing Television, the CMO Insight Series. I'm your host, Jeff Pedowitz, and today as our guest, we have Scott McAllister, who is CEO of Padawan Consulting and an expert in digital transformation. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Uh, digital transformation, it's almost becoming a household word. A lot of people are talking about it, but what does it really mean? Yeah, I mean, the reality is it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For me, what it's meant in my career is how do you leverage data and digital to redefine the way that we market and redefine the customer experience end to end for consumers. Clearly, there's all sorts of other elements that are also within digital transformation, uh, but that's how I actually explain it for, for uh, folks that I talk to. So easy to say, a little bit harder to do, right? Um, <laughs> what are some of the things that the obstacles that people don't think about when they start their digital transformation projects? Yeah, the irony of the digital transformation work is it typically the building of the technology, though not easy, that is not the hard part. The hard part typically comes down to working through the organization, working through opposing perspectives and folks that, quite frankly, may lose out from the transformation where their part of the organization maybe ends up with less responsibility in that process. So what I found really critically important is in setting the vision and the strategy, bringing a broad array of the executive team and broader in to feed in and buy off on that strategy so that when you go to push out, everybody's holding hands together and, and walking in the same direction. So a lot of change management then? Tremendous amount of change management. So why is it so hard though, to, you know, do you think to get alignment between different executive groups at a company? Human beings don't like change, quite frankly. You know, we may say we like it, but uh, we like things the way they are. Uh, we also have our own uh, individual and personal agendas. Uh, in many cases, you know, people are putting bread on the table for their families and being successful in their career enables them to do that. And if uh, you are going to do something that is going to get in the way of that, people will fight it, uh, quite frankly. And, you know, any type of transformation or change, you're going to get probably a small group that are raving supporters and along for the ride and are going to help you out. You get kind of a, a chunk of maybe 50% that, uh, let's say that's 25% of the people, 50% of the people are, are coming along, but they're not raving supporters and they're kind of watching to see how this is working. And if it's, it's successful, they want to be on the bandwagon and 25% may fight it just because it's not in their best interest for their organization and their organization's resources to support what you're doing. So given all that resistance, then what are some fundamental things companies have to do to be able to mitigate against that? Yeah, I think there's a few things. One is being able to clearly articulate a strategy where people have bought in. Um, I think that's hyper important. And actually, even before that, even more important is the senior most executives in the organization, whether it be the chairman of the board, it be the CEO, those folks need to say this is important. And then they're, they, have to, they have to walk that talk and demonstrate that it is important. So first you start from tops down. Second, you drive that strategy in alignment. Third is ensuring that you have the right forums to keep people up to speed on what's going on. You don't want to be out in a vacuum and that team scene is off to the side going off and doing their things. You want people to know what's going on. So um, in my role at Comcast, where I read, led the digital transformation effort for the cable division, 
I spend a tremendous amount of time in different forums every single month uh, with the same groups, telling them what we've done, what we're going to do, uh, and getting feedback and input, and also trying to knock down barriers for, for what things we're doing. And then the last thing I would throw out there is measuring success. And so we had a, a North Star metric we called Digital First Contact Share during that transformation, which basically was what percentage of your customers are only touching you digitally. And we wanted to move that number a significant amount uh, to get people to uh, move from picking up the phone and calling into the call center and self-serving through digital. And we were able then to show that metric at all times. And as we started to demonstrate movement against that metric, that demonstrated momentum, that demonstrated success. People like to be associated with success and they want to be part of that, that success and actually you know, claim some of the responsibility for it. And, and quite frankly, I think as a leader, you're smart to allow as many people as possible to be able to claim that success because then they'll come along for the ride and help you to be successful. And similar when you, when you get some good, strong individual people or team leaders that can evangelize and, and carry the message forward, a lot of times that has even greater impact than the executive driving it from the top down. Uh, because people will respect their peers, and if they see someone that's doing something better, faster, and having success, then they're going to want to replicate that. Uh, <clears throat> so absolutely true. The the uh, great idea is go to die in middle management sometimes. So you need everybody in the organization <laughs> along for the ride. Is that a recommended rotation? Everybody should spend some time in middle management, and then uh, they could realize. <laughs> They say everyone should rotate. If you get to the most senior level, you have gone through it, so you know. And you did. Okay, well, there you go. Um, so in a lot of these projects that you work on, how often is data a stumbling block? Uh, unfortunately, it tends to be a challenge and an issue um, in, in every organization that I've been involved with. And uh, most organizations that I've consulted with or worked for have been proprietary organizations, or I have sold in, helped companies sell in or position marketing their products into larger proprietary, leg sorry, proprietary is the wrong word, legacy organization with proprietary databases. And those tend to create challenges. Um, I'll, I'll give an example of one Fortune 500 that I was working with where I think it was something like 46 different databases where all this different data was residing, all different types and levels of, of databases in terms of how modern they were. And so many times it requires building of a data lake to extract the data, put it in a, a layer where it actually can be interrogated and leveraged and used. Um, that tends to be the biggest issue. I was just having a conversation with somebody yesterday that was talking about, you know, marketing hasn't changed much in terms of what we do in marketing. How we do it has changed substantially. And one of the biggest impediments to that right now is we look to do one-to-one -one and more personalized marketing is having the right data to be able to do that and be able to ex uh, access that data. That becomes the biggest stumbling block. And unfortunately, it is something that most organizations think I think are, are uh, struggling with today unless they have built themselves up in the last five to 10 years in a more modern infrastructure. You know, the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks, those that have built their infrastructure uh, more recently are in much better place than those that have to go back and reinvent. I know, I've noticed that companies have no issue spending money to get more data, but there always seems to be a reticence to spend money to clean it up. <laughs> Why do you think that yeah, is? Yeah, which is ironic because the reality is 
It's not having more data. It's it's having not quantity of data. It's the quality of data that matters, right? And decisioning. And and I'll give an example where we were building out some personalization work uh, at Comcast, and the reality was there were all sorts of different fields that we could grab in different places, but. Technology asked us to identify what are the most important pieces of data that you need and how fast you need to be able to get that data, interrogate that data. So is it an instantaneous, like a machine learning type activity, or is this something that you can get on a daily drop basis? Uh, because you don't need everything instantaneously and you don't need every piece of data. So I think the, the real key that I found to success in these cases with data is Yes, find ways at a macro level to clean the data, make it so it can be actually accessed and interrogated. But as you start thinking of which data to use, have everything informed by use cases. Think of what is the use case I'm trying to solve for? What data do I need? And start knocking it down in smaller projects. It's, it's kind of technology 101 and building out big technology projects. The ones that tend to be least successful are the massive rip everything out, start all over again. The ones that tend to be much smarter and we work in an agile way versus waterfall these, these days is do things in iterations and steps so that the organization and the technology can be digested in a way that, that really makes sense at the end of the day. And um, <clears throat> are these issues with data, uh, how often are they impacting a company's ability to personalize? Or is it that plus content? It's a massive, it's a, no, it's a well, content's also key, but it's a massive uh, impediment. If you don't have the right data or models to inform what you're doing, it's pretty darn hard to personalize. You can do some basic things, and you're basically just doing rules wizards, right, at that, that point, which is something that we could have done 15 years ago. So having access to the data in a way that can inform how you speak to the individual at all steps of the customer life cycle, whether it be marketing or down funnel when you're servicing and retaining all of those pieces need informed by data. So I know everyone talks about Netflix and Amazon as great examples of personalized experiences. Uh, can you think of a few other maybe B2B companies that are doing a good job? This one, we're going to have to pay to pause because I got to think about that yeah. one. <laughs> B2B, interesting, because I don't tend to play in the B2B space. I, I, well, I, I tend ask, to, you know what, That's a, it's, a, it's a standard reaction I get because a lot of people can cite the B2C brands. But, you know, in B2B, if you think about it, B2B has even more data than, than B2C companies do on the consumers in most cases. It's just yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I, there, there's, uh, you know, and the question is, there's nobody that's coming to mind uh, immediately. Uh, most of the things that we think about are B2C and what we encounter in our everyday lives. And I can't honestly cannot think off the top of my head of somebody that's held out as a tremendously outstanding group doing things B2B. Um, now, as, as mentioned, there is plenty of data that those folks have, but how are they extrapolating and leveraging that data to improve their experiences? Now, part of that may be that there's still a lot of elements in B2B that are less digitally uh, forward, less digital forward, more of human beings interacting. However, you have to believe that those human beings could leverage next best action and information at their fingertips to be a lot smarter. 
But I can't think off the top of my head of anybody that's been held out as here is the gold standard of B2B. So it's a, it's a great question, and it actually makes me think now I need to go run that down, but I can't think of one. Is there any uh, that you're thinking? No, it's funny. I, I, I actually struggle to think of it myself, especially since so many companies are investing in ABX programs now, which in its very essence should be high degree personalized to the buying center and to the individuals, but still just showing up as a shining example. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a challenge, I think, for B2B. But the promise is still there. And yep. I think that's what a lot of CMOs are trying to trying to build towards. So as you look at over the next few years, what do you what do you see as some critical trends that will impact the way that we do business? So I think that you know data and personalization will, I think, come into much more of a mature stage over the next five years or so. Um, as with anything, there are some companies that will be further ahead, some that will be behind, and and really think artificial intelligence and machine learning with having the right data there and the type of uh, computer infrastructure that we have through cloud will enable companies to really realize this one-to-one -one personalization dream and really raise the bar where everyone can start delivering experiences that look a lot more like the ones you mentioned earlier with Amazon and Netflix. That's one. I think another one is uh, AR. Um, not as big a fan of VR, although the metaverse is something that's being talked about quite a bit. Uh, now, the irony is the metaverse already does exist. I see my eight-year-old go on Roblox every single day and interact with her friends and ask for money out of her allowance so she can buy digital assets. So it exists. So there are examples. So uh, I probably should not poo-poo that one. But I'm very interested to see where the, the AR piece and whether it be goggles or just how you blend uh, together real world and digital. I actually had to uh, go into LabCorp for uh, a blood test today, and it's not AR so much as blending the channels together. Uh, I had signed up online for the appointment, had confirmed the appointment online. When I got there, I had an email where I could check in from my car and say I'm ready, and they would text me when they were ready so I didn't have to sit and wait. Uh, in the, the waiting room, I could just sit in my car and listen to the radio and do whatever I wanted to do. Went in and was in and out of there literally in like five minutes. And I thought to myself, what an amazing experience. So I think that companies that have been focused on digital transformation, you tend to start with doing the transformation in the individual channels. And where things fall down is when you have the handoffs between channels. I mean, kudos to LabCorp of really taking things and thinking – how they take that real life, real world example, you can't extract blood digitally, you have to physically be there, but how do I take digital to make that a better experience? So not only not do yet. I- It's not yet anyway, right? <laughs> what's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not only is it personalized, now it is a much better ex uh, experience where no matter where I am, it can hand off very elegantly. I think that, that that's um, the second really big thing that I see, see coming. Um, the other thing that should be interesting is how content continues to play in the way that we ingest, digest, and interact with brands. So we have this social universe that, that really, right now, brands are curated and crafted in partnership with people that are fans of those, those brands. And there's also this social responsibility element where, especially the younger generation, they don't want to do business with companies unless they fit kind of the things that they believe in and see. And so I, I see companies and the brands that um, those companies represent really continuing to 
invest in content, invest in creating the relationship with their fans of their brand at a whole different level uh, where they're curating and crafting a brand. And I think social responsibility will be a really critical part for a lot of people. And you could also argue conservative values could be an important thing. There are certain people that um, are unhappy about what they'll call the wokeism. And they're saying, I want to buy from a company that, that shares my values that are conservative. So it could go either directions uh, for, for people. So I think those are the three big things, personalization, bringing together digital and real world experience, uh, which AR has that. The metaverse and VR is a, another step beyond that. And this third piece of this curated, crafted brands representing something to people and almost becoming a, a tribes of people that represent that, that uh, are fans of brands. Yeah, and if you think about it, it just comes full circle because as uh, human nature, we we group ourselves in tribes, you know, with common interests yes. and, and needs, whether it's a religion or athletics or other types of uh, social interests, we find our groups and, and we, we uh, harmonize together. So to be able to do that in a digital world or an augmented world to rebuild, to build the brand that then drives engagement and demand, it's, it's, uh, it's a full circle. So uh, Scott, thank you so much for being on the program today. Great insights. Uh, continue best of luck with uh, Padawan. And if somebody needs help in digital transformation, how do they reach you? Uh, you can find me at scott.c.mcallister at gmail.com. You could also find me within LinkedIn. Uh, and I'd be very happy to work with you to help to drive your next level of transformation. Fantastic. Scott McAllister, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You bet.